The flush. 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 Someone's on the turlet. Oh. The turlet. On the turlet. Get your booty off the turlet. <laughs> no. Please don't ask what that is, because I don't have no answer. Do you I like, like my song for you, Alex? Did you hear it? What? Get your booty off the turlet. Yes. You don't yeah. love me? <laughs> All right, here we okay. go. Getting into it. So, are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if it's naughty to ruse your lips, shake your shoulders, shake your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to a spooky Halloween, Halloween. Yeah, is that the official song? Halloween. Mm. <laughs> Ooh. I liked that. Hey, maybe we could uh, introduce our podcast. We could do that. We could do that. Welcome to Spooktacular. (gasps) Spooktown. Spooktown. Spooktacular Spooktown episode of your favorite new podcast. Or maybe it's not new anymore. (laughs) We've been around for a little bit. Yeah. Your favorite podcast, though, hopefully. Fingers crossed. What's the name of it, Hannah? It's called... Uh, Spoopy. (laughs) (laughs) It's called Good Witches, Bad Bad Bitches. Damn. That was good. We rocked that. Yeah, that was real nice. It's it's Halloween, in case that isn't clear to some of you listening on on the day that this drops. If you don't listen on Halloween, then you're having a weird experience, surely. Yeah, but hopefully it'll still be cool, because this episode is going to be pretty spooktacular. (laughs) <laughs> exactly and we've got some extras today yeah it's gonna be a different format yeah. than usual we're gonna try out something new for the holiday where um because we were both very excited when we realized that the episode was going to drop on halloween and we didn't want the other person to feel left out yep so, so. we were like let's just do a double trouble Bubble, yeah. bubble, double fucking Macbeth witch situation. Yeah. Get some Mary-Kate and Ashley in here and... Mary-Kate and Ashley. Didn't you ever see... Was it was it double, double, double toil and trouble? Oh, my God. I probably did. I watched everything they did back in the day. Oh, I wanted to ask you. I didn't... I haven't cleared this with you yet, so you may not want to talk about it, but we watched the first episode of... Um, Sabrina last night. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Yeah. And uh, uh, I won't obviously spoil it for everybody, but I thought it was kind of appropriate to mention it at the very least on Halloween. Oh, yeah. You know, I'll be curious to hear how many of you actually it's go and It's a spooky watch vintage it. Riverdale, basically, because yeah. it's the same. 1960s? Yeah, it's early 1960s. Yep, yep. I'm excited to see where it goes. I thought that the first episode, it was intriguing enough. I like the comic, so I'm, and Michelle Gomez is amazing, so, and so is uh, Lucy Davis and Miranda Otto. The casting is great. Yeah, Michelle Gomez is 
she was on Doctor Who. Yep. As the master. The lady master. The lady master. So she's awesome. I will say that the weird, there's this like blurry well, thing going on. I remember the first on. time you like went and grabbed your glasses and then you were like watching it and I heard you turn to Ben and be like, I can't see with these glasses. <laughs> and Ben was like, no, no, that's on purpose. It's blurry. <laughs> oh, no. And I was like, oh yeah, no, we're all experiencing oh, that. God. But yeah. Oh, but speaking of like Halloween things that are like really good. Have you seen Halloween yet? The new one? No. Oh my God. It was so fucking good. I have a confession. I've never seen any of the Halloween movies. Okay. So here's the deal. You don't need to. This, I was in the same position. So Alex has been very excited about the new one for a while. And he's a big fan of the Halloween franchise period. And one of his absolute favorite movies is the first one. And so I knew that he wanted to see the the new one, and the new one looked intriguing to me, but I was like, I haven't seen the first one. So a couple weeks ago, we went, er, we rented the first one, watched it. I loved it. And this one has nothing to do with any of the other sequels. It is, this okay. new one is basically as if none of the other sequels happened. Oh. And I, I will, I'll play this, there's like a YouTube explanation, although Alex does a pretty good job of explaining it. Like, there's multiple timelines, actually, in the Halloween franchise, period. With oh. different stories, like, in some of them she has a daughter, and some of them she has a son. Is that intentional, or just like... Yeah, people just want to revamp it and do it in a way that they, that was their vision. But none of them... Weird. The, John Carpenter didn't have creative control over, like, any of them beyond the first one, and he was on board with this one. Uh. And was a part of the creative process and did the score and stuff. Um, And it was just, it's like a really good, I think, feminist take on Halloween because it's basically like Laurie Strode has spent her whole life prepping to show down with this guy again. She has a daughter and a granddaughter. And it's all about the women of this family protecting one another and, you know, taking them out. And I just thought it was awesome. And it, like, spun some tropes on its head. And he was, there were, there were, like, some shots where we're following him through a house as if he is the prey and not the predator, which I thought was super cool. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just enjoyed the whole thing from start to finish. All right. Uh, if you're a fan of, like, Vice Principal of Rareness, it's co-written by Danny McBride. Oh, yeah, Danny McBride is one of the writers on it. And you can tell by some of the, the, the Some of the comedy kind of right. written into it is, like, really good. And, All right. And, yeah, and, I mean, obviously Jamie Lee Curtis is amazing. And we've also mm-hmm. been listening to this podcast that, oh, my God, what the fuck is her name? Oh, Amy Nicholson. Amy Nicholson. is. She's doing, like, a Halloween series. Like, she does, um, she's a film critic in Los Angeles, and she's, like, really... I love the way she talks about movies, actually. Um, and she's been a guest on many podcasts that I listen to. And she is just doing a whole... She's, like, interviewed John Carpenter, Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, she's a huge fan of the series. And it's really interesting to hear... The analysis of uh-huh. it. And, yeah. I love that. Which... So, yeah. go. You should watch the first one and then go see this one. All right. It's good. Deal. And they bring... There's podcasters in it. <laughs> Oh and, no! And Alex, Alex was like fucking podcasters, and then it, yeah, they were like, <laughs> we're doing a podcast, and it's like, oh shit. shit, journalism for our modern age. Yeah, I mean it is. Yeah, like it, they were basically doing a version of like serial. 
Oh, okay. There's this great line. I mean, not to give away too, too much, but there's this great thing where, so it's a male podcaster and a female podcaster. They're a team or whatever. And so they go try and interview Michael Myers and then they want to go interview Laurie Strode, which he's of course locked up at a mental institution. And, um, she, they, he, the man is like, he's done all this investigation on like, we need to try and understand who Michael Myers is and blah, blah, blah. And then the first thing he does when he sits down with her, he's like, so you have been divorced like three times and have never really had much of a successful life. Like what's going on? And basically Jamie Lee Curtis's character just goes like, you want to understand how to humanize Michael Myers. I have been unable to stay married and suddenly I'm the basket case here. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like the best uh, she's like what the fuck is wrong she like basically throws it back on him like you want to humanize a monster but you want to try and make me seem crazy yeah you want to dehumanize me so our special episode hannah we have some stuff what are we gonna talk about today well we're gonna talk you're gonna tell us some stuff and hannah's gonna tell us and some then stuff. i'm gonna tell you some stuff then i'm gonna tell you some stuff and then Dan's gonna tell us some stuff but <laughs> so we figured how appropriate would it be to go real witchy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we kind of, we've been kind of on that theme yeah. in October in the lead up to Halloween. But today, specifically, we want to talk about a few people and we want to talk about the general history of where the stereotype of the witch came from and the yeah. history of witches, yeah. which feels very on brand for our podcast. It does. And I think that especially with um, a lot of the, you know, the witchy things that have been happening and the media that's been coming out. And like, I mean, Sabrina, for example, even though they kind of go the the Satan worshiping route. Oh, they really lean into the stereotypes. And, yeah. And just, and just, I kind of find that refreshing to just embrace. Like, oh, yeah, no, we worship Satan. That's what, that's the whole point. Yeah, I will be curious to see where they take it. I guess, I mean, I don't know. For me, I'm I'm a little wary only because, like, it it, it doesn't... Reflect for, well on... For right, right now, yeah. I mean, the, the whole, like, Satan worshiping aspect of that, it was created by, you know, scared men in the medieval times. Uh-huh. Um, and so to... To to lean into that, but not dissect it, sort of. But we'll see if they do dissect but, it. So they might, and so oh. that's what I don't know, and that's what I'm curious to see if we'll they find out. if they get if they get there we'll with it, out. or if they're if they really don't know that that's not what witchcraft is. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's my fear is that it's one or it's one or the other. It's like he doesn't know that that's what it is, or he's gonna dissect it at some point. Yeah. So we'll see. Um. Anyway, so I think that that's one reason why it's why it's a good idea to continue with the witchiness is because it's just like also there's the witches who uh, put a hex on Kavanaugh or whatever recently and like there's all sorts of talk about it. So let's continue talking about it because we may as well talk just about witches and where they came the world. from. We all yeah. grew up watching Hocus Pocus. Mm. But oh my god, I love Hocus Pocus. Practical Magic. I it's, loved Practical Magic. It's one magic. of my favorite movies. That was a good movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. Charmed. Charmed. Mm-hmm. Even Buffy. Buffy, yeah, because Willow. Willow. And Tara. Yep. All those witches. Yeah, man. Where does that shit come from? Well, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> tell me, tell me. A very, very broad stroke general history of a lot of things. 
Yes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you excited? Yes. Okay. So um, a lot of this uh, comes from an article called The Historical Origins of the Witch by Danica McClure, um, which is on allthatsinteresting.com, which I find fascinating. It was an article that was originally posted in 2015, but then was updated this year with new Ah, information. You see? Yeah. Everything is, it comes back around. coming up witches right now. Everything's coming up witches. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Maybe that should be the title of this episode. Everything's come. Everything's coming up. Witches. Beautiful. Yep. So let's talk about witches then. They are a fearsome being of fairy tale and myth. The witch has carved out a home in nearly every culture across the world and time. It's true. Indeed, the witch represents the dark side of the female presence. She has power that cannot be controlled. Aha. Well, this time of year brings about depictions of aging, ugly, hook-nosed women surrounding their cauldrons and inflicting toil and trouble on the masses. History tells us that the witch's origins are far less sinister, of course. In fact, those whom we consider to be witches have often been healers. Ah, shocker. What? What? (laughs) Carol Fontaine, an internationally recognized American biblical scholar, argues in an interview that the idea of the witch has been around as long as humanity has tried to deal with disease and avert disaster. In the earliest centuries of human civilization, witches were the women who served the goddesses and therefore were revered throughout their communities. Ah. So it was religious. And it is to this day. It is still. But it's always, it's taken many incarnations um, and turns. In the Middle East, for example, ancient civilizations not only worshipped powerful female deities, but it was often women who practiced the holiest of rituals. Trained in the sacred arts, these priestesses became known as wise women and may have been some of the earliest manifestations of what we now recognize as the witch. Hmm. These women made house calls, delivered babies, dealt with infertility, and cured impotence, according to Fontaine. What's interesting about them is that they're so clearly understood to be positive figures in their society. No king could be without their counsel. No army could recover from a defeat without their ritual activity. No baby could be born without their presence. And when was this again? This Middle East ancient civilizations. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, how the tides do turn. Right? It's weird to see how, like... Really, I think it's it's like Judeo-Christian monotheism that, Mm -hmm. like, took over... And really, I mean, it does delve into that a little bit. But, okay. They're clearly understood to be good, powerful, helpful. Yeah. How did the benevolent image of a wise woman transform into the malevolent figure of the witch that we know today? Some scholars maintain that the answer may be linked to events long before the birth of Christ, when Indo-Europeans expanded westward, bringing with them a warrior culture that valued aggression and male gods of war, which dominated the once revered female deities. Others believe that when the Hebrews settled in Canaan 1,300 years before the Common Era, their male-centric and monotheistic view of creation came along for the ride. Obeying the laws of the Bible, Hebrews believed witchcraft to be dangerous and prohibited, prohibited it as a pagan practice. Centuries later, this fear of witches spread to Europe. In the 1300s, when the plague decimated Europe and killed one in three people, it brought with it hysteria. Oh, yeah. One in three people dying. Like, yeah. Amid the panic, many attributed their misfortune to the devil himself and his supposed worshippers. 
At this point, the Catholic Church's Inquisition, which had already been established for decades, expanded its efforts to seek out and punish the non-Catholic causes of the mass deaths, including devil-doting witches. Because we always need someone to blame, right? need someone to blame. These women were believed to worship in large nocturnal assemblies where various social (laughs) ills were performed, such as promiscuous sex, uh uh-oh, naked dancing, and gluttonous feasting on the flesh of human infants. This just sounds like Wednesday night. (laughs) Maybe not the baby eating part. (laughs) You don't know. (laughs) Okay. Uh, At the climax of this festival, people at the time believed that the devil himself would appear and participate in an unbridled orgy with all attendants. Yes. That kind of sounds (laughs) crazy. sounds great. Sounds like a great party. Unbridled (laughs) orgy with the devil. I bet he's good in bed. I don't know. You'd think. Yeah, well, all good things are. Maybe he's not our consent, though. We never know. I don't know. Although Christians tend to be the ones that edit that out but like shit I mean yeah it's the it's the pious ones it's who Brett don't Kavanaugh seem to give a shit a very about that pious, Mike Pence yeah all that bit so in order to save the church and its followers from the devil these women had to be tamed of course it is with that in mind that the catholic church inquisitors Jacob Springer and Henrik Kramer wrote the Malleus Maleficarum, uh-huh. a book which assisted witch hunters in the gruesome task of diagnosing and punishing so-called witches who, as women, were sexually vulnerable and therefore easy prey for the devil. Mm, mm. Yes, yes. Our many holes make, yeah. you know, easy prey. Satan, yeah. Quote, what else is a woman but a foe to friendship? Wrote the monks. <laughs> okay. They are evil, lecherous, vain, and lustful. All witchcraft comes from carnal lust, which is, in women, insatiable. Carnal lust is, in women, insatiable. Men, though, they're really good at controlling their urges, clearly. Uh Mm. Well, they don't have to be. Boys will be boys, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. That's just, that's what that is. But in women, Women it's unseemly. Women are just uh, carnal sex machines. But that's gross. And that's the devil coming out. Yeah. Um... The manual's vivid descriptions would serve as a platform for zealous witch hunters to act on their prejudices for over 200 years. Yeah. That's a long time. Is that, was that technically the burning times? Probably. Yeah. Because the burning times were like a span of a couple centuries where like some 30 or something thousand women were executed. Yeah. During the burning times because they were accused of like witchcraft and shit. Yep. Uh, uh, at this time, the Malleus Maleficarum, 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 at this time, the Malleus Maleficarum was second to the Bible in terms of popularity. Whoa, that I didn't know. Yeah. That's crazy. Fontaine notes that while there had been witch hunting manuals prior to the publication of this book, these two monks were the first to associate a specific gender with witchcraft. (sighs) That sucks. Thanks guys. What fuckheads you are. By the end of the 1600s, the witch hunting hysteria in Europe reached its peak. Witch hunts spread like wildfire across Europe, the worst of which occurred in France and Germany. Würzburg, Germany, was home to the worst <laughs> instance of witch hunting. The magistrates of the time determined that most of the town was possessed by the devil and condemned hundreds of people to death. Jesus Christ. Most of the town was was In one possessed. town? Yeah. They condemned hundreds of people? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Religion professor, women, I should say. Oh, right. Yes. Religion professor Barbara McGraw notes in a 1996 interview that there were some towns in Germany where there were no women left. (gasps) Oh my 
God. They killed all the women. They really had no foresight, did they? No. At all? No. Jesus Christ. (sighs) Thousands were arrested and brought to inquisitors for examination. Under an inquisitor's brutal scrutiny, the accused were stripped and searched. Oh. Any suspicious wart, mole, or birthmark could be enough to receive a death sentence. Oh, okay. Uh In order to execute the accused, however, they first needed to confess. Torture seemed to be the best way of inciting confession, and the church would use instruments such as thumb and leg screws, head clamps, and the Iron Maiden to generate the, quote, truth needed to enact death. Mm Mm-hmm. While torturing women under examination, the Malleus Maleficarum warned the torturer not to make eye contact with her, as her evil powers might cause the torturer to develop feelings of compassion. Oh. Isn't that terrible? Wouldn't want that. Don't make eye contact, because you might be overcome with sympathy. And that's not just your human brain. That's not your human compassion. Hating what you're you're doing. torturing a person. That's the devil. That's the devil coming through this woman. Isn't that awful? I'm speechless. When this period ended, at approximately the beginning of the 18th century, an estimated 60,000 people in Europe had been killed as witches. So 60,000. 60,000. Overseas, the most anthologized witch hunt took place in Salem, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. I was super obsessed with the Salem witchcraft hunt when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. The 17th century settlement had a rough beginning, decades of Indian wars, land disputes, deep religious divisions, and a tendency to look to the supernatural to explain the unknown helped set the grounds for this particularly New World brand of hysteria. The Puritan kind Mm -hmm. of, yeah. Yep. Bored children. Um, Eating maybe moldy bread. (laughs) (laughs) So much of of these cases go back to that. They think that it's that? Yeah. Yeah. The witch hysteria in Salem began in 1692 in the home of a Puritan minister named Samuel Parris. Parris was deeply concerned about a game his daughter Elizabeth and niece Abigail had played in which the two girls looked into a primitive crystal ball and saw a coffin. (gasps) Oh, no. This vision sent them into convulsions, and within a few days, nine other girls throughout the community were stricken with the same ailment. Oh, no. Thank God. Under the pressure of Paris, the girls then named three witches who may have cursed them, Tichiba, their household slave, Sarah Good, a beggar woman, and Sarah Osborne, a widow rumored to have had an illicit affair with one of her servants. All three women were social outcasts and thus easy targets for suspicion. They were all also like independent women. Yeah. In I mean, various like, ways. obviously Tichiba was a slave, but like she was unmarried. She was Yeah you know, taking care of the kids. She was, you know. The 1692 Salem witch trials spread witch hunting hysteria to 24 outlying villages. Mm. I did not quite know that. Um, That year, jails were crowded with more than 200 accused witches, 27 of whom were found guilty and 19 of whom were killed. Yeah. The trials met a swift end, however, in part because supposed victims began pointing their fingers at high-ranking figures within the community. And they were like, nope, no, like, no, 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 it's not, Button it, it up. it's not me. No, no, no. When the wife of the governor of Massachusetts was accused of witchcraft, leaders saw to it that the trial ceased immediately. Gosh. That's and not a... because she said no, presumably. It's because her husband was like, uh-uh, no. No, yeah. Her husband put an end to it. As to what spurred the girls' confessions, Fontaine attributes them to a form of social release. The girls had been so tightly controlled in Salem, Fontaine argues that this confession allowed the girls to receive some kind of attention. Yep. Hundreds of years later, 
The fearsome image of the witch faded and was absorbed by a popular culture who used the witch's violent history as costume inspiration. We'll get to that later. Oh. Others, however, used it as a means to found a new spiritual movement. In 1921, British archaeologist Margaret Murray penned a book called The Witch Cult in Western Europe, in which she argued that witchcraft had not been an obscure occult, but a dominant religious force. Though Murray's theories have been widely discredited since the book's publishing, her work sparked a fascination with witches that had been dormant for nearly 300 years and eventually helped to spawn the Wicca religion. Aha! This religion which is named after an Anglo-Saxon term for craft of the wise, circles back to ancient practices that uses herbs and other natural elements to promote healing, harmony, love, and wisdom, all following the tenet of harm none. Yep. Which is what a lot of people don't fucking realize about Wiccans. Yep. Oh, I know. (laughs) Harm none. Yeah. It remains to be seen who the world's powerful will choose as their next witch, but as history has shown, the fearful is often the female. Ah, isn't it true? Hmm. It's so true. That was a real quick... Yeah. Through the history of witches in mostly Western world yeah. history. Well, that's... Yeah. I mean, because, like, there are there are still... And I'm not going to be right about where in Africa this happens, but there are still countries in Africa that believe in witches and... Um, they don't burn them at the stake necessarily, but there are rituals for how to deal with them mm-hmm. and people well, who are accused of witchcraft. And there's a lot of like pockets of of voodoo and there are a lot of priestesses yeah. who they believe can do magic and yep. maybe they do. Who knows? Yeah. You never know. Um, I got curious as you were talking about the Malleus Maleficarum. Carum. Malif- Maleficarum. Um, and there's the PDF is online. Holy shit. So I figured I should I'd, link to it. Yeah, I figured I'd bring it up and um I I don't know if there's if there's an easy you know, an easy thing to read from it. Yeah. But I will link to it so that uh, you know, people can look at it. But it's got like this table of contents is interesting. Um they call them questions instead of chapters, but whether children can be generated by incubi and succubi. Uh, Jesus. By which devils are the operations of incubus and succubus practiced? Whether witches can sway the minds of men to love or hatred? (laughs) Um, Whether witches can, by some glamour, change men into beasts? Oh, Lord. Whether by whether the permission of Almighty God is an uh, an accompaniment of witchcraft. What's the accompaniment? The permission of Almighty God. That's weird. Whether the permission. Oh, is it about like why would God let this happen? Yeah, I think so. Well, that's the eternal question for uh, people in monotheistic religions. Yeah. Why would God let this happen? It's. Is it a part of His plan? It is shown that on account of the sins of witches, the innocent are often bewitched, yea, sometimes even for their own sins. Oh, for fuck's sake. So it like goes on and on like that. What a terrible time to be a woman. I can't, I mean, Jesus, I can't even imagine. Because there is, there's so much like, I, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm scared, but I also want to make sure that you are in your place and everybody who has been, like we, we started, we came uh, we poked our heads a little bit out of the dark ages and women, you know, started getting a little bit more, a little bit more. And 
I don't know. That's frightening. Hilariously. It's very scary. How it was for, always, for it was like widows. So, you know, women who yeah. had, you know, presumably known sex. Yeah. And, you know, business owning women you who know, threatened, you know, their male counterparts. Yeah. Insane. But it is interesting to think about the the um, the role of that bread mold, like LSD, you know, LSD-esque. Yeah, right? Because that came up in a lot of, so when I was looking er, ergot for- Ergot or whatever. Ergot or ergo or whatever it was. The it came up a lot when I was researching various um, various people for this, trying to decide what I wanted to do. And yeah. there another thing that came up, which I don't know if you found as you were looking. Um, it's like I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically like they were. There was supposedly something that witches made that they would slather on their brooms to make the brooms fly, and it was like, I mean, it was kind of lewd and and very sexual in the way that they you mean like it. lube like lube so that they could fuck their brooms while they flew them i mean there's a little bit of that but there's also this idea that maybe that stuff actually did exist and it was a drug that people were making and it was like <clears throat> a hallucinogen oh. oh and made and made women actually made people think that they could ride brooms and they could do all this other stuff and fly. And, and fly yeah. so that you know so that when they were saying some of these things they actually believed some of them and so that's where we, a lot of those weird yeah, like yeah, charges yeah. of of you know and then the witch met the devil on the crossroads and you know like i watched her fuck him yeah like, like what's her butt from a couple weeks ago exactly or last week was it last week it was uh, last week yeah last fuck. week <laughs> i know i know time has passed in a very weird <laughs> way for me these last couple weeks but it is interesting like where some of this stuff isn't it's not all totally on the part of the accusers like some of the stuff does come from the the minds of people who were hallucinating. Yeah. And so you have this weird confluence of just... Or maybe it's, you know, like with the satanic panic where there were so many <clears throat> therapists who implanted false memories. Yeah. Like maybe these people genuinely believed that they had repressed something and then they came up with it and then repeated it so many times that they really believed that it had to be true. Yeah. The human mind is a... It's a wild Crazy maze. Crazy thing. Mm -hmm. um, well, thank you for that. It's a very brief introduction to the history of witches, but I felt like it was appropriate and didn't want to take too much time because I have more shit to talk about. Yeah. And so do you. And so do I. Well, I have a very interesting... Um, I have a very interesting thing to tell you about that I, when I found it, I was like, oh shit, there's no way I can't. There's no way I'm not doing this. Um, and there's maybe always you are doing it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> I love you. Um, maybe you've heard of this. Maybe. The Affair of the Poisons. Not in those terms. All right. So. Lay it on me then. Let's go. All right. I'm ready. Um, so I'm, I'm going to talk about this, The Affair of the Poisons, and also the various people who were involved over time, mostly women. Um and I got some, let's see, historyextra.com had a really nicely written article by Professor Lynn Wood Mollenauer, who okay. is a historian who's written a book about it. I took from, um, I, I honestly don't know 
who wrote this. I couldn't figure out who wrote this this essay, but it was from uh, the digital commons.law. And then I also took from Atlas Obscura, which Hell had a yeah. really great article I about it. Atlas Obscura. So yeah. <laughs> so this first paragraph is by Professor Linwood Molinauer, and I just I thought it outlined it really name. well. I know. Linwood Molinauer. So in sixteen seventy-eight the Parisian police received an anonymous tip warning of a conspiracy to poison the king, <gasps> Louis XIV. Wow. Their investigation of the conspiracy led directly to a criminal, magical underworld flourishing in the heart of the capital. Ooh. There they discovered a loosely knit community of sorceresses, magicians, and renegade priests who offered for renegade sale... Renegade priests? Yes. Who offered for sale an array of products, including love spells, magic charms, and poisons, known as inheritance powders. Because when you poisoned someone, you'd oh, get your inheritance. I get it, I get it. Um, which were often manufactured from arsenic and desiccated toads. Uh, customers from across the social hierarchy had apparently purchased such wares. Some clients dreamed of wealth and bought charms to ensure that they would always win at games of chance. Others aspired to political success and sought secrets that would bring credit with the king. Others longed for romance and invested in love charms and spells to vanquish their rivals. Still others wanted to rid themselves of rivals or relatives and for the purpose uh, bought shirts treated with a type of arsenic. Ooh, no thanks. Or enema solutions containing mercuric chloride for Wait, their victims. Can, I'm sorry, but how do you... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Act, like, how do you convince someone to let you put a poison <laughs> enema in their butt? <laughs> like, no, 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 trust me, this will be fun. Oh. <laughs> I don't know, maybe enemas were in common use anyway. I kind of so they just they gave were. them a poisoned one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Woo! That would be yep. a bad way to go. I totally agree. Mercuric chloride? Uh-uh. Enema? Okay. So these events would become known as the Affair of the Poisons, and the macabre details read like a gothic novel. Hell yeah. Um, the Affair of the Poisons is a slightly misleading name for one of the largest witch trials in modern history. Yeah. Um, and it occurred just uh, 10 years before the Salem witch trials. Oh. So over five years, from 1677 to 1682, 319 subpoenas were issued, 194 individuals... Wait, how many subpoenas? 319. Okay. Subpoenas were issued, uh, 194 individuals were arrested. Whoa. And 36 were executed. Whoa! That... Bless you. Yeah. That's more than, I mean, Salem yeah. witchcraft. I mean, there's fewer people in Salem than there were in... Paris. But. but it is kind of interesting that this was a huge witch hunt and, you know, Salem witch trials have sort of overtaken it in modern, I don't know, yeah. history. Yeah. Um, so in total, it claimed between two and three uh, times as many lives as the Salem witch trials. Ah, there, well, there you go. Um, it began with what appeared to be an isolated case, but then... Door after door started opening, and um, eventually, rich and poor alike were implicated. So that's the that's the other interesting thing is like, nobles were not exempt right. from this, right. which is something that was kind of true in Salem at least for a little while at the, at the beginning. Yeah. So um, it's important to note just before we dive into who it started with that living in Louis' court was extremely expensive. Oh, um, yeah. Totally wild. Courtiers were routinely squandering 
fuck tons of cash just to prove they had fuck tons of cash. Right. Like, they were just doing it just to say, like, you know, I have the money to do this, even though more and more their lands were becoming less and less prosperous. I mean, it's like buying a torn up T-shirt that's like designer brand, but you couldn't. It's just a plain white T-shirt that's like it's like buying a Kanye West T-shirt for hundreds of dollars. Mm -hmm. Yes, they were doing that. Just because you can go buy a fucking plain white T-shirt that's Fruit of the Loom, tear it up yourself and it would look the same. But this is a Kanye West one because I want to show you that I can just throw away hundreds of dollars on nothing. Yes, that is exactly what they were doing. Fuck. Um, And, of course, everyone was bored out of their fucking minds. Right. So they were doing, they were also squandering their money on things like palm readings and tarot and gambling. And they were just like, there was all sorts of, you know, quote, occult practices happening because it was relieving them of their boredom. It's entertaining. Yeah. There's lots of money to be made if you just want to go in and be a, a tarot reader. Yeah. Which yes. that's, all that takes is knowledge of the cards and yeah. an ability to interpret them. Right. That's not really that magic. No. It's whatever you put into it. Exactly. So. Yeah. And people chose to villainize it in some ways, but, like, it just is one of those things that you didn't do if you were just a regular person. Right. You know? Right. <clears throat> so. Um, the whole thing, the whole affair of the poisons, began with a woman named Marie de Brinvilliers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that that's right. Cool. Um, basically, in the late 1600s, her lover, because she was married, um, but at the time her husband was more interested in gambling. It's France. Um, it was France. <laughs> um, <laughs> I might need your help with this one. Godin de Saint-Croix? Croix? 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 Is it like La Croix? Yeah. That was, the, this was her lover. Say it again. <laughs> help me. <laughs> I don't It's at it. the bottom. Okay. Godin. Um, yeah. No, you got it. Godin. Godin de Saint-Croix. Okay. Okay. He was an attractive young army officer who was arrested um, when Marie's husband and her own family asked the king to issue a warrant for adultery. Like, this asshole's sleeping with my wife. Arrest him. Yeah, exactly. He's younger and hotter. Um, Arrest him. Yeah. And, and like, yeah. I mean, women... We're not supposed to be fucking around at that point anyway. Yeah, but they did. But they France, did. It's like all the time, like everybody. Well, and that's part of what's so interesting about the story is like everyone, it was just debauchery all over the fucking place. Right. Um, but so he ended up imprisoned with a dude, an Italian dude named Exili. That's who, a name. Yeah, and he was super famous for being a master poisoner. Oh, and shit. he was in prison for being a master poisoner. He had, you know, supposedly poisoned a shit ton of people, um, especially in royal households. <laughs> and thus he was feared by every European court at the time. <laughs> um, and so that dude taught St. Croix all that he knew about making poison while they were in jail. And so when St. Croix... keep master poisoners uh, in solitary confinement. <laughs> yeah, maybe keep them away <laughs> from the general That's public. That's just information that you can learn. <laughs> But they, I feel like they just put people in jail at the time and just kind of forgot about them and they weren't yeah, they thinking. Yeah, they tossed them in a cell. Yeah. So he, he, uh, he learned a lot from this dude. Nice. And when he was released, he told Marie about all about his new skills with poisons. Nice. And she was like, all right, that's awesome. Let's, let's put these skills to use. Yeah, let's test them out. So Marie began experimenting with lethal poisons, testing them out. On her own servants. Yikes. 
and the patients at the hospital. Um, oh no! Yeah, because she was one of the one of the many ladies of Parisian nobility who volunteered to visit the sick. Yeah, that's what that was like a thing. That was a thing. Yeah. And it is said that she bestowed sweets and biscuits and wine on her unfortunate patients. Oh, no. Who invariably died soon after. Oh, no. Yes. And aspiring to uh, inherit the entire family fortune. Oh, boy. She finally poisoned her father. Yikes. In 1666 Fun. and her two brothers in 1670. Oh, my God. Yeah. The, well, the poison was, wasn't detected when they did an autopsy. They were just like, oh, this is just mysterious death. We don't know. And um, the, the first time they actually thought to question whether it might be poison was when St. Uh, Croix poisoned himself on accident. Well, what they they couldn't put it two and two together. Like he was in jail. Now he's out. He was in jail with a master poisoner. Nope. They never put it together. Not until, until he poisoned himself on accident. He poisoned himself on accident. And then when they when they found him in his lab, they found all of this evidence that she was also involved. Did he die? He died. Yeah. Ah. He accidentally poisoned himself to death. Um <sighs> So, what an idiot. <laughs> I know, kind of a dum-dum. But she fled, and she was gone. She was on the lam for four years before. <laughs> bye. She, bye, I'm not staying for this. No way. Smart. Um, but she was found in a convent in Belgium. <laughs> and in a, in a letter found in her convent cell, she confessed to having attempted to poison her sister, her daughter, and her husband as well. Jesus. Yeah, because she wanted the whole fortune. She wanted the whole family fortune, and that meant the whole family had to be gone. That's just greedy. I agree. <laughs> Come on, girl. Get it together. Yeah. Um, historians seem to struggle to reconcile de, uh, Marie's, de Brinvilliers' uh, uncommon physical attractions with her toxic pastime. A 1911 biography by Hugh Stokes says, Her soft smile, her blue eyes, her graceful figure concealed the unbridled passions of a tigress. <coughs> he reads her confession as the work of a dangerous sociopath. Heart had she none, not even for the men she loved. That's what he wrote. Well, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um... So later, she tried to distance herself from her admission, claiming feverish madness, which maybe, now that we know that that happens Maybe sometimes. she poisoned herself with bread mold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it was too late. She was found guilty and subjected to water torture. Yikes. No thanks. I mean, she did poison a lot of people, but... Yeah, but the... Nobody should really... I made the mistake of, of reading the first-hand account of, like, someone who was there, and it's pretty awful. Water like, torture's never fun. No. And I didn't really know what it was. And she basically, so stripped naked and bound, she had 24 pints of water forced down her throat. And she is said to have looked at the numerous buckets um, and said, no doubt all of this water is to drown me. I hope you don't suppose that a person of my size could swallow it all. Well, Ugh. I mean, yeah, and you can drown Ugh. yourself internally by drinking too much water at yep. once. yep. Um, but then after that, she was beheaded and burned at the stake Whoa. and had her ashes Wait, cast bo both? into the wind. <laughs> That's kind of unnecessary. Yeah, they did both. That was Well, I sentence. guess because they thought she was a witch. Yeah. So, yeah. They, it, they, went so, to, they took extra measures to make sure she was dead as fuck. Right. Well, and I think the point is that you don't get a proper burial. You yeah. don't get a Christian burial. Which is a big deal. Big deal. Yeah. Yeah. 
for Catholics. Yes. And Protestants, really, but. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, just before she died, she uh, allegedly said, out of so many guilty people, must I be the only one to be put to death? Half the people in this town are involved in this sort of thing, and I could ruin them if I were to talk. Uh-oh. So. Did she? <laughs> she did not. But then they were like, hmm. But then they were like, oh, shit. So, yeah, Louis became, like, way paranoid after that. And because if Marie, who was a noblewoman, could be guilty of something like that. Right. Then anyone could be. And anyone that meant anyone in his court could be. So. Ruh-roh. Yeah. And he was then just terrified of being poisoned and allegedly hired tasters for his tasters. Tasters for his tasters? Yes. Just in case. Because he had uh, tasters he preferred more than others or what? Well, in case one was like more, um, uh, like had a tolerance to arsenic or something. (laughs) You know what I mean? You put that on your resume. (laughs) Yeah, I am tolerant. Have a high tolerance for arsenic. So maybe I ate I'm lots not. of apple cores as a, as a child. <laughs> Which means I'm probably not the best taster for you because I won't die eating your food. So. Well, but what about, weren't there poisons that had like delayed responses? Yeah. I mean. So what the fuck would you, like the taster's fine an hour later, but then in a half a day, then they get fucked. Well, that was, there was a joke I read somewhere. I didn't write it down, but there was a joke that was like, there are several French dishes that are served cold, in part because by the time it came to Louis's table, it was it had been you know out of oh. the oven so long that it was cold now. So that's how people had it served because that's the way the king ate it. Yeah, oh. because he couldn't eat his food until hours after it had been prepared, so that it could have time to get tasted, and and tested and tested. So. Wow. Kind of of interesting little tidbit. Yeah. Um, So he installed Gabriel Nicholas de la Rainey, lieutenant general of the Paris police, (laughs) to oversee an investigation. So he installed installed him to oversee uh, a full-scale investigation. Into the affair of the poison. Into what, yeah, into what Marie had said, which was... There are lots of people. I'm not the people. only one, bitch. Yeah. And so that really freaked him out. And he was TLDR, like, all right. TLDR, I'm not the only one, bitch. TLDR. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't apply to things you listen to, but no. whatever. Um, so he was he was lauded for the work he had done cleaning up Paris, apparently. He nice. impl- implemented things like gun control and um, a mud tax, which I don't really know what that means. But <laughs> he did that, so right. um, well bravo. Done. Now he had a new challenge. Soon, the arrests began. They began. Police descended upon alchemists, counterfeiters, and poisoners amid uh, rumors of a royal poisoning plot. So according to historian Francis Mossaker, okay. a police, uh, police uncovered troves of lethal chemicals, arsenic, nitric acid, mercuric chloride, um, equipment, like furnaces, forceps, cauldrons, and vials, Mm. and foul natural ingredients, flowers, deadly nightshade, blobs of hanged man's fat. What? Nail clippings, bone splinters, specimens of human blood, excrement, urine, and semen. Specimens of human blood? Semen? 
okay, I'm out. Yep, <laughs> I'm out, I'm done. Mm. And obviously, they could have been really exaggerating a lot of this. Oh, yeah, for drama. For drama, yeah. To be like, we are doing such a great job, look at all of this witchy stuff we found. Yeah. Oh, that weird stuff, I can't, I'm, don't know what that is. That's, Semen. Semen, and that's hanged man's what did they, body What fat. did they do? Taste it? Like, smell it? How do they know it's semen? Who fucking Wouldn't that knows? shit dry up? Blood congeals. Yes, blood, yeah. It's, so that's why I think How some of it is like. How do they know it's human like, blood? Well, I think some of it, I think menstrual blood is used in a lot of. Oh, well. A I, lot of these things. That's human blood. Anyway, um, so it looked as much like a plague of dark magic and poisoning together, and rumors abounded. Then in 1690, in 1679, Lorraine made another hugely important arrest Uh-oh. from another stratum of society, an arrest that gave him the, I like this, thank you, Atlas Obscura, the rattling keys to Paris's criminal underworld. Ooh. Yes. Who did he arrest, Hannah? He arrested Catherine Monvoisin, also known as La, La Voisin, I'm not saying this right, La Voisin, Voisin, Voisin. Where is it? Where is it? Oh, yeah, voisin. Voisin? Okay. La voisin. 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 Okay. Voisin. Uh, by, uh, uh. by profession, There's she was N. a divinerous. Divin, diviner, divinerous. Cool. Whatever, Whatever the fuck that, that word is. <laughs> Something between a fortune teller and uh, an amateur apothecary. If you had a toothache a lost treasure, or a future in need of reading, she and her professional peers would be there for you, mostly to exploit your vulnerabilities and your pocketbook. They offered a range of more sinister wares, too. Grizzly proto-abortions, love potions, poisoned posies, and lots more. What is a poisoned posy? (laughs) Poisoned posies. Um, So That's just beautifully alliterative. I know. I think that's probably why um, they wrote it. Yeah. Though arsenic was the poison of choice, the ingredients ran to the extravagant. Even powdered diamonds were not unheard of. That's unnecessary. I know. That's, I mean, But bizarre. that'll, like, tear apart your insides, surely. Yeah, but it's all in the name of, like, ooh, this is, you know, extravagant and exotic and let me sh- Let me blow a load of cash on this to show you how much money I can spend on killing your ass. <laughs> it's like Victorians who thought that ingesting powdered mummy was somehow going to, like, Mm-mm. do something for them. Mm-mm. Yeah. That's why That's why grave robbing was such a big thing during that era. Lord. And why, we, why we're missing so many mummies. Anyway, random tangent. So um, repeat clients who came seeking a horoscope or herbal remedy might eventually walk out seeing the appeal of darker magic. Yeah. So La Voisin, Voisin was allegedly known to virtually every woman in Paris, and she liked money. She liked spending money. So she had as much money as she wanted, a fellow divinerous, divineress is quoted as saying. Um, every morning, long before she got up, clients would be waiting for her. But she like was also... Like out the door? Yeah, like waiting outside the door for her to open up. Ooh. So they could come come in and nice. get her get her spells. But she was also incredibly pious. She considered her skills and her work to be gifts bestowed upon her from God. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. And then whatever prayer didn't accomplish, she would step in to help. You know, help it along. Because God had given her that right. ability. Right. So. Which is always a dangerous uh, line of thought. It is. 
Sometimes um, alternative means were the only option for women of the period. They were treated by law and practice as secondary to men, obviously. What? In many ways they still are. Um, so women, it appears, turned to abortifacients or poisons to liberate themselves from unwanted pregnancies, lovers, or husbands. <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> All of the above. Male authorities seem to have been particularly pricked by the effort for women to wrest some self-determination for themselves. Oh, no. So, of course, that made all of this, like, that much scarier. Right. So she was arrested. La Voisin was arrested in 1679. And La Rainey learned a lot about the world, the, this underworld, from her after she was arrested. And, I mean, you could say that this is when the affair of the poisons really got started. Like, Marie de Brinvilliers, good God, kind of instilled the suspicion and made Louis paranoid, but this woman's arrest started the whole thing in a huge like really way. really opened the floodgates. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's because she named names. Yeah. Oh, she was not happy about being arrested. No. Or tortured or, you know, all of that shit. Motherfuck. Yeah. So her professional peers were swiftly ushered into neighboring cells at the Chateau de Vincennes. Vincennes? I don't know. The local prison. Let me see this. <laughs> Very bottom last. Vincennes. Vincennes. Mm-hmm. Chateau de Vincennes. De Vincennes. De Vincennes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been saying that wrong. De is D-E-S. De is D-E. Oh, this is good to know. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, the prison was getting fucking crowded. Um, her list of customers, too, was deeply troubling to authorities. And included many prominent faces in the court. Yeah, because she was had a lot of money. So yeah. clearly rich people were buying shit. Yeah. And, um, Petty rich courtiers. Courtiers. Courtier. <laughs> I like that. Courtier. Courtier. Um, one, of her, one of her customers included a countess whose husband had recently and mysteriously died. Oh! Oh, no. Um, more shocking still, her confessions seemed to implicate one of the king's former lovers, whose four-year-old daughter was many of, one of many of his illegitimate children. Yeah, he bucked around. He, oh, my God, he had so many kids. Um, the king, who was already terrified of poison and exposure... Um, panicked and he demanded from then on that the notes from La Rainey's interrogations be put on loose pieces of paper. Those relating to sensitive matters could then be easily removed and burned and kept from the eyes of a scandal-hungry public. Mm-hmm. Paris is full of this kind of thing, La Voisin said in her interrogations, which was eerily similar to Marie, and there is an infinite number of people engaged in this evil trade. And 11 months after her arrest, she was burned alive in a public square. Yay. Um, La Rainey by this time was just like, I'm in way over my head with this. I like, this is not what I ever envisioned doing with my career and my life. And there are way too many people engaging in this shit. Like way more than they ever thought possible. So we need a better way to deal with this (laughs) quietly and quickly. This problem is bigger than I thought. (laughs) Yeah. Not capable. I can't do this. And I also, like he was scared because... You know, they were only doing, they were only getting through one investigation a year. Like this, this. And with the number of people named, it's like, we'll never finish. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So he was like, we need something. We need a way to try and, and bring in all of these people. And Louis was like, yeah, you're right. And he created the Chambre 
Ardente. The Burning Room. Ardente. Ardente, okay. Chambre Ardente. Yes. Um, it was located deep in the bowels of the Arsenal, a royal munitions warehouse, and which is oddly today and refurbished entirely as a library, which I think is interesting. It was lit only by flaming torches. Below windows uh, shrouded in black cloth, 13 magistrates gathered to interrogate prisoners. The term, which first emerged in the mid-16th century, was a general one for an extraordinary court of justice, um, especially for the trials of heretics. The Chambre Ardente. 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 Ardente is a very Italian sound. That's what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of al dente pasta. Mm-hmm. Al dente. Okay. A-R-D-E-N-T-E? Yes. Al dente. All right. Yeah. Cool. Like, just think ardent. Ardent. Um, doctors and pharmacists uh, were on hand to corroborate evidence and provide medical reports, but the actual proceedings were conducted in absolute secrecy. Within these walls, during the course of the investigation, following uh, Lavoisin's arrest, five people were sentenced to life imprisonment, 23 were banished, and 36 were sentenced to death. Banished! Mm-hmm. Get out! Of those, 34 were executed, Shit. decapitated, hanged, strangled, broken on the wheel, or burnt alive. Oh, God. These were just a fraction of the 442 people charged with crimes related to involvement in evil spells Holy shit. and composing, distributing, and administering poison. Whoa. The affair had begun with a woman of rank, and now, one after another, people of similarly high status were being hauled into the prison. Um, others, knowing it was only a matter of time before they were accused, fled. The atmosphere at court began to change. Um, <laughs> like, because everyone was so on edge. Yeah. And, and it was somber and weird. And it had previously been, been like, everyone was gambling and having a really good time. And now everyone was walking around, you know, on their tiptoes. Worried that their neighbor was going to accuse them of shit. Yeah. And probably be right. Exactly. They were guilty of something. Yeah. Because everybody was backstabbing Bitches. And that's what it was, that's what was coming out, was like everyone had something to gain and everyone was willing to pay for dark spells to um, make it happen. Just so funny that it they were paying for spells and most of them, if, that, if it was just a spell rather than just like, I'm going to poison someone, it probably wasn't real. Well, and that's the thing is at the time people saw poison as, as magic. witchcraft. Yeah, yeah, as magic. Like poison was really... Yeah. Otherworldly and, and paranormal. Um, so everything continued. Um, the Secretary of State for War, writing to a high-ranking Chambre official, said that no one should be spared questioning, no matter their position. Whoa. He wrote, It would be worse if it was seen that His Majesty had given protection to people accused of crimes of this sort. The king, the official replied, was steadfast, and no one would be exempt in a matter this grave. Whoa. Um, but of course, uh, you know, the king was a hypocrite. Because ultimately, what? yeah, I know. Ultimately, um, the accusations came against a woman named Athenais de Montespan. Sure. Once known as the king's favorite mistress. She came to court in the mid-1660s and worked as one of the queen's ladies-in-waiting, having left her family and husband behind in the countryside. But she had higher aspirations, the bed and the heart of the king, which most women at court wanted that at the time. Yeah, well, 
The favor bestowed, presumably, was... Yes. Yeah. Being the official mistress, or one of the official mistresses, was a big fucking deal. Right. And she was, you know, beautiful, and everyone thought she was, you know, really charismatic, and she was tireless in her pursuit of the king and became his official mistress, um, and bore him ultimately seven illegitimate children. He had so many fucking kids. So many kids. And this was, she was pregnant with the first one. Or no, she became his mistress at the same Didn't time. Didn't she already have kids before she came to court? Like in... I don't know. Didn't you say she left her husband and her kids behind? She left her husband and family. Oh. But I guess I assumed that was like her, you know, mother and father and... Yeah, weird that that's where you went and my brain went, her kids. That's because I don't believe in children. <laughs> they aren't real. They aren't real. They don't exist. Um, so, yeah. So she was pregnant at the same time. No, no, no. She became his mistress at the same time that his wife and his previously favored mistress were both pregnant. Can you fucking believe that? Well, maybe they, at least they had each other. <laughs> yeah. Go, let's go through it together, sisters. Ooh. Um, this shit is bizarre. The claims attached to her name were various and shocking. And it's clear that, like, most people in court had a reason to accuse her of this uh, shit uh-huh. because she was in such a position of power and, and you know, they didn't they wanted to knock her down a peg because somebody else was always trying to get her position. Sure. So um, these were some of them. One, she had poisoned the mistress that preceded her. Okay? Sure. Um, she had been involved with La Voisin in order to get the king's attention, and that's how she became his mistress. So supposedly she and La Voisin would call on the devil and pray to him for the king's love. And as a way to express her gratitude for her request, they would sacrifice a newborn's a newborn's life by slitting its throat with a knife. And next, the baby's body would be crushed, and the drained blood, um, oh god, and mashed bones would be used in their poisons, in their mixtures or potions. <laughs> That's gross. And then Louis's food was then tainted in this way. What? With that, with okay. that mixture. Yeah, come on, for everybody. For 13 years to maintain her favor, to maintain the love potion. That, it sounds like a lot of work. I know, but she did it, uh, according to the rest of the court. She did it! Um, and then, of course, when La Voisin was captured, that ended, and she was no longer his favored mistress anymore. So they saw that as a correlation between, you know her love potions ending and nothing to do with being accused of witchcraft or nothing to do with her turning 40 and all of a sudden not being as interesting to him anymore as the, you know, the The sexy new 20 year old. Um, yeah, no, it had nothing to do with that. Oh, this I thought was, uh, fucking gross. They, when, when La Voisin was captured, supposedly they found 2,500 infant bodies in her garden there's in La no Voisin's fucking garden. way. The space alone. I know. And the, and that was su- supposedly like evidence that um uh Athenes had done all of these things. Jesus. Um also she supposedly went so far as to allow a priest to perform a black mass over her nude body in a blood-soaked ceremony, which was also said to have included infant sacrifice. Why are they always killing babies? Where are these babies coming from? Because evil people kill the purest among us. I don't know. Yeah, but where are the babies coming from? 
I do not know. There are thousands of babies that have disappeared. babies, yeah. And with t- <laughs> thousands of parents going, that's where my baby went. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Clearly. I mean, that must be what happened. Like, I know infant mortality rates were high, but they had to have, kid- like, wait, what? I what? know. What? It's all so implausible, and they still convinced people. <laughs> they did. Yeah. <sighs> um, yeah. The king and La Rainey were shaken. Uh, it would be deeply humiliating for the king to be seen as having been persuaded by a love potion for 13 years, especially since he had legitimized all of their offspring. Oh, Um, like in line for the throne? uh Uh-huh. Yep. Um, But the commission had sworn to crack down on everyone, regardless of rank. Uh, (laughs) So... What? Yeah. After 16 hours of secret, undocumented argument... The king declared that he wanted the commission to continue, but that any evidence against her was to be thrown out. That she kept her hold on him. Yep. It's impossible to know, really, whether this was because he believed in her innocence or because he just didn't want to submit her surviving children um, by her to any further embarrassment and himself to any further embarrassment. Um, So he basically... Well, I mean, in admitting her guilt, he admitted that he would be admitting that the king could be duped by the yes. devil. Yep. Which if the king is ordained by God. Yeah. Then that's not, shouldn't be a thing. It just, it would, it would reflect poorly on the whole like image that kings yeah. are trying to. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's good reason for him to have done that, but it's like you killed all these other people. Mm-hmm. So he bribed her to leave and join a convent and she did. And that was, that was the end of her time at court. All right. Um, At least she didn't die. Yeah. I mean, then. But her, her, like, reputation was kind of ruined. And her kids, I'm sure, learned about it at some point. Yeah. Anyway. But so, by now, the commissioners were bored <laughs> and disheartened. And the inquiry had lost a lot of its bite. Um, most of the key players... People weren't shocked anymore. I know! Nobody was They're like... They're like, oh, come on. Okay, okay, dead infants, got it. We're sick of this shit. We're tired. Can we move on? <laughs> and most of the key players by now had been, like, executed or imprisoned or banished or whatever. Lord. Yeah. And so in uh, April 1682, La Rainey acknowledged that it might be time to let go. And by July, the king, who had long since had enough, agreed. So... It's so weird how yeah. this kind of hysteria will grip people. Yeah. And then it goes away and it's like magically. Yeah. All the witches disappear. Yep. Yep. He he overcame his fear done. and it's gone and it's done and exposure therapy. <laughs> so they the burning room was snuffed out. Haha. <laughs> Um, the last of the secret documents about the affair were burned and the investigation was over. Louis ruled in total for 72 years, but the affair was kind of like one of those weird things that, you know, he was responsible for and was a huge part of his reign, but was never like truly resolved. I mean, that's also not really what he's known for either, which is funny. Isn't that insane? Yeah. They managed to really like, I mean, his PR people did a good fucking job. Mm. The Sun King. You know? I mean, that witch, those are witch trials that continued on for years and years. And You're right. It is amazing that we don't know as much about that as we do about Salem witchcraft trials. It makes me wonder though if like, 
the French know about it more. I wonder. I don't know. I'll ask her. I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I'd be curious to know what she says because, like, that to me is not something that, I mean, when you learn about Louis XIV in school. I don't recall ever having learned that specific thing. We don't talk about how he had all these witches, you know, supposed witches burned at the stake Mm. and torn apart in the town square. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about that shit. Mm -hmm. But he's responsible for the for the death of a lot of women. Kind of crazy. Makes you see him in a slightly, slightly different light. Yeah, well, the (laughs) monarchy wasn't much longer for this world in France at that point. Right. But he was still seen as like... I mean, he saw saw it through to yeah. his end of his life, and people liked him. I mean, yeah, no, he was a well, he was you know. a well, he was a beloved king. Yeah, not so much his grandson. I think Louis the Fifteenth was his grandson. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, so that's the affair of the poisons, Shit. one of the largest witch trials in history. Shit. So there it is. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Now <laughs> that now that we've covered some trials. And tribulations, tribulations of lady witches. Of lady witches. Let's talk about how they got to be looking the way they okay, look now. So, question for you. Yeah. If I say, imagine a witch mm-hmm. in a traditional sense, what do you think of? Like, what do you picture? I think of the pointy hat. Right. I think of like a wart on the face somewhere, probably. Yep. <laughs> I think of the broom. Yep. I think of, uh, well, this might be newer, but stripy socks. Uh-huh. Um, that might be Wizard of Oz. That might be, like, yeah, Wizard of Oz. Um, and black cats. Yep. And, um, <clears throat> yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think that that's pretty standard. It kind of covers it. I think that a lot of people think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you say, what do you, what do you imagine when you picture a witch? Um, yeah, and that's pretty much your basic Halloween witch costume. Yeah. But... I'm going to tell you where that came from. And I know that you already know some about this. A little bit. But I'm going to I'm going to elaborate cuz I won't I won't follow that up with, "Well, Hannah, do you know why?" I mean, that's our witch and you go, "Actually, kind of." <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you a little bit. I'll, I'll tell, tell you what I know. I'll tell you a lot of it. <laughs> so, this comes from an article um, called Bubbling Brews and Broomsticks, How Alewives Became the Stereotypical Witch. <laughs> Which it's more of the same bullshit. Of course. Yep. So, brewing, herbs, broomsticks, women. When one hears these words together, most often the assumption is that the person in question is a witch. Yep. Yet, brewing has had a very human meaning as well, one that revolves around the avarice of beer consumption. Beer. And its never-ending demand by consumers. Yes. And the irony is now beer brewing and beer consumption is seen as a very male. Totally masculine thing. thing. Yep. Yep. (sighs) Men order beer, women order wine. I mean, I like them both. I agree, but I'm just saying. It was from this alcoholic context that the trade of alewives arose. Women in the Middle Ages through the early modern period who brewed and sold alcohol as a means of income. Due to alewives' skills in the kitchen, fashion sense, and the eventual rise of urban guilds, however, Ooh. the alewife soon became a, ter- became a term synonymous with witch. Mm. It's likely from these practices that much of the modern <laughs> views of the stereotypical witch began. Oh my god. Brewing has belonged to women from the early uh, medieval to modern periods for a variety of reasons. Most of which I'm sure that you can guess. Most obvious, simple fact, women were tasked with kitchen chores and cooking. And brewing required skills in that area. 
Women kept the kitchen in order. They made dough, they baked bread, they planted and grew herbs, they ground grains, and they boiled ingredients in a large black cauldron over a sweltering fire for stews, (laughs) for food. (laughs) The practice, therefore, was rather economic for women to undertake. They already possessed the skills and tools needed to begin to make ale and beer. Further, there was no shortage in the need for alcoholic beverages, as it was the primary drink in a period where water was unclean. So the process of making beer was beneficial to the family of the brewer as well. Hot damn. Because people always needed something to drink. Yep. That's how humans consumed their water back then. Yeah. Because alcohol was sterile. Hello. (laughs) It was also not uncommon for women to utilize their children in their brewing endeavors. So... Oh, you mean like brewing them into the beer? Yep. Like killing their babies. Yeah. Um... If she had a husband who had a position elsewhere or was a widowed mother, it was a very sensible idea to incorporate her children into the making of beer. The alewife would be able to monitor her children rather than sending them to school or hiring outside help, especially if neither could be afforded because school wasn't free. Oh, yeah. She could teach them household tasks, ensure her children stayed out of trouble, all the while working toward a productive financial outcome. Including family in the production of alcohol also led to an increased supply, particularly if the children learned to work independently. The oh. ill wife suddenly had twice as much or more to sell for profit. In addition to selling ale in public spaces, the households of these alewives were known to take on secondary roles as ale houses, where women brewed and sold their product in a space akin to bars or taverns. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they kind of invented... Like bars in a way. Hello. Once again, having children who knew the procedure of brewing would have allowed the woman more freedom to run a proper alehouse if she chose to do so. Though her children would not necessarily stay with their mother forever in this role, it's likely the woman could gain a significant income and reputation before her children even left the home to be able to continue on without them or even be able to invest in proper help once their children left. All right. Now. So they were making some money. They were making some money. Oh, and I don't know if it mentions this later, but of course the cat thing. They kept cats around mm. to rid the, their homes get of pests. Of mice. <laughs> to get rid of mice and brooms because oh they had to clean up after themselves. By didn't, joy. didn't they put the brooms outside the doors of the pubs to like let people know? I think so. That they were. I think you read that somewhere. I think I read that somewhere that they like put the brooms outside the pubs to let people know. Okay, this is a brewing establishment. Come like, on, this inside. is a beer establishment. It wasn't, it wasn't a pub, like a. It wasn't a real pub. Right. It was just out of her house, and yeah. she had plenty to spare. She could make some extra money. Yeah. So the How broom gonna, let people know. Right. Come inside. Get yeah. a beer. Yeah. We got some beer for you. <laughs> All right. You sold me. But okay. So. Now we need to briefly consider the aforementioned points outside the economic benefits. Women, single or widowed, in a time when being husbandless was considered taboo, working over a hot black cauldron while young children gathered and collected ingredients. The woman toiled over her bubbling brew, a thick mixture of natural ingredients that after fermentation would eventually create a drink that could cause any man to lose total control if he overindulged. (laughs) Such a creation sounds more than a little bit like a magical potion, does it not? Yep. Added to the fact that women who chose to run a nail house put themselves in a public space, exposing her brewing process to all who came through her doors. Suddenly, there appears to be visual evidence of some sort of magical workshops. At least, that's what the church and male-run guilds claimed by the early modern period. (sighs) 
Yeah. Despite that, brewing was a long sensible career choice for women since the tasks aligned with household jobs like cooking, cleaning, etc. It's also believed that the modern perception of witches was influenced by the actions and tools of the alewives. One should keep in mind that the Salem witch trials were contemporary with early modern Europe, 1400 to 1800, and so many of the reasons the women in Salem were accused of magic, outside of the extraordinary accusations of devil dancing and so on, found their beginnings beginnings found their beginnings and rumors started surrounding these alewives. A typical broomstick associated with witchcraft was also equally associated with these alewives. A broom hung over the front door <laughs> of a home indicated the house was a cellar of beer. And ale, or an ale house with alcohol, was available. There it is. Yep. yep. Hang that broom over the door. Yep. <laughs> the physical appearance of witches was similarly inspired by the garb of alewives who chose to sell their products in marketplaces. Ooh. Women in the early modern period often wore large black conical hats, the very same that children wear on Halloween nowadays. Whoa! These hats were part of the period fashion and were indicative of high-born ladies. Really? Allowing these women to be recognized for their social class from afar. Oh. Right. Brewers adopted this habit, and some were well off, anyway. And it was a method by which to easily sell your product in a crowded street and public square. Look for the black pointy hat. You'll find yourself with an alewife with product to sell. Oh, my God. So, like, it's a way to distinguish yourself from the crowd and go, oh, beer. That's where we get beer. That's where we go. Get, get the beer over there. Mm-hmm. In the present, brewing is more readily considered a task of men because beer is more readily associated with their gender. However, it's important to remember that this was one of the many practices that were dominated by women until the rise of urban guilds seeking influence within the growing church. Thus, oh. these accusations of witchcraft were likely unexpected and insulting when they first circulated. As guild communities grew and urban life in cities increased, screaming witch at the sight of a woman brewing became easier and easier, thus turning a once profitable, innocent career into a form of devil magic. But only for women. For, yeah. Because men, because men the, saw that and they went, oh, we want to make no, the money they're No, because they were joining making. the guilds and the women couldn't join the guilds because it wasn't like a proper career. They were just doing it basically as a side hustle to being a housewife. <sighs> but they were like, oh, I'm really good at this. If I help have my children help me, I have excess. I can sell it. People like it. Yeah. And the men in the guilds didn't like that women were taking away their business. Yep. Um, as the oppressed are known to do, however, women did continue to contribute to the ale-making process after the procedure was taken away from them. And in spite of rumors of brewing black magic... Women's roles were highly diminished and far less respected. Even if a woman inherited the brewing business of her late spouse or reputable father, there were always accusations of witchcraft whispering through the streets. And of course, there were those few women, usually widowed or unwed, who continued to brew on their own in secret without regard for their reputation. The alewives, therefore, are just one of many historical examples in which women persevered in a male workforce, finding a way to continue their traditions and skirting the circumstances of their times. Hot damn. Hot diggity damn. Shit, man. I mean, that's so crazy that, like, the way we think of witches now, that Just that the, entire the, outfit mm-hmm. and the and all of the accoutrement is, like, because of mm-hmm. this one thing. Yep. That's so crazy. Yeah. 
I mean, that's that's the thing, though, is that it is a product of its time because this was happening during a period where witch hysteria was at its peak. Yeah. Men were able to point at these women, financially independent women, and because they had a specific look, because the broomsticks were over the door, because the pointy hats were to indicate, I have things to sell. Yeah. And the cats had to do with killing mice that would, like, otherwise invade your hops, you know, supply, yeah. blah, blah, blah. They're brewing over a cauldron. It was like, avoid, that suddenly avoid became, that. like, the image for a witch, even though, obviously, it wasn't only Alewives being accused of witchcraft. I think that they just found it convenient. Yeah, I'm sure that a lot of dudes, like, especially, like, you were saying, the ones in these guilds, probably did a lot of insidious rumor spreading. Oh, Without a uh, doubt. You know, saying, well, don't go to the ones with the pointy hats because they're witches in order to take business away and bring it like, back to them. Come to us. We're a legitimate establishment. Yeah. So if We don't I, have any pointy hats in our uh, alehouse. Right. So if everyone is, like, afraid of the, the, you know. Well, because, as you were saying, there's, like, a lot of alchemy involved in actual poisoning. Oh, yeah. So if you're just making beer... <laughs> but I liked the comment that was made there about how it's like you go into a place and a woman gives you a drink that if you have too much of it, you lose control. Yeah. If That's men give you that ball. drink, it doesn't mean anything. But if a woman gives you that drink. So happy Halloween, everybody. In honor of witches, <laughs> if you partake in alcoholic beverage, raise, a, raise a mug of beer <laughs> for ancient alewives. Ancient, Damn straight. Not ancient, but medieval alewives. And their wares and the things they contributed. In short, mm. you have uh, beer because of ladies and, yep. you know, witch costumes because of beer. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I do have a couple of on this day in histories. I, I There are a couple that... Are they spoopy? You know, <laughs> some of them are spoopy. Um, <laughs> some of them are just normal, but I figured I should, I should mention them anyway because they were interesting. 1541, Michelangelo finishes painting The Last Judgment on the Sistine Chapel. Oh. Yeah. Happy Halloween. Also, 1864, Nevada was admitted as the 36th state of the Union. Spooky! I know! (laughs) This one seemed relevant. 1892, Arthur Conan Doyle publishes The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Oh, I didn't know that came out on Halloween. Came out on Halloween. All right. Yeah. Um, this one's not spooky, but it is scary. 1922, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Benito Mussolini becomes premier of Italy. Ugh. Yeah. We should have known. I know. Uh, 1974, Ted Bundy, victim Laura Aim- Amy, disappears in Utah. Ooh. <sighs> Ted. Yeah. Uh, I included this one because I, I felt like it. With all of the witchcraft stuff we've been talking about, it's interesting. But in 1992, 1992, the Roman Catholic Church reinstates Galileo, Galilei, after 359 years. So they excommunicated him in... He's long dead. And they're like, you're no longer excommunicated. We no longer believe that you are guilty of of crazy heresy. Uh, So, yeah. Cool. 2017, Takahiro um, Shiraishi 
is arrested in Zama, Japan, a day after nine dismembered bodies are found in his apartment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He basically would find people who were apparently suicidal and say, I'll help you with that. And then even if they changed their minds, it didn't matter. He would drug them, assault them, and then dismember them. He's like the Japanese Jeffrey Dahmer. I mean, with the exception of he was, I don't know if he was cannibalizing them, but he might have been. <laughs> Yikes. Pretty awful. Spoopy. Spoopy, basically. So I figured I'd end on that one. There's like a bunch of other, you know, battles and stuff, but, you know, it's yeah. Halloween, whatever. Yeah. It's Halloween. Serial killers. That's what you get. Yep. Serial killers and Galileo. Also, it's Halloween. That's that's an on this day in history. It's Halloween. Happy Sam Hain, everyone. Which is interesting. Sawin. Sawin. Yep. Um, Sam Hain. Sam Hain. I'm a noob. <laughs> it's fine. I just butchered a bunch of French words and names. <laughs> um, I was looking up Halloween and just its history, and it is interesting that the way we celebrate Halloween, it's a distinctly American holiday. Which, the way we celebrate it, yeah. Halloween, yeah. Mm-hmm. Halloween is like an, a uniquely American thing, like how we trick or treat and how we dress up in costume. Like a lot of that stuff is taken from lots of European stuff. Right. It's it's all part of European tradition, but the way we incorporate it is it's very uniquely completely us. us, which is kind of cool because I didn't realize that the way we celebrate Halloween is kind of like an American thing, so. You know, that's that's kind of nifty. I mean, I guess why would why wouldn't you want to celebrate it the way we celebrate it? I mean, that's it's what fucking I say. cool. But it wasn't until um, I mean, America was born and we started. Apparently, over here, we started like telling ghost stories and you know yeah. incorporating costumes and trick or treating. The veil is thin. Mm-hmm. So So, ghost stories, which then turned into, like, serial killer stories and slasher stories and stuff. That's one thing that enrages my mom. When I was talking about us watching scary movies this month, she was like, that's not what Halloween is. Like, that's not what it's about. And it's like, well, it is to a lot of people. I mean, it is, though. It is what Halloween's about. Because she she was just trying to say it's it's Halloween, and she's like, that's not about killers. Yeah, I would have said the same thing, but, like... so that's kind of... Fear of the unknown, it's kind of transpired into becoming something on its own. Yeah. I mean, the American Halloween really is the American Halloween, and and Samhain is its own thing at this point. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. It's... All Hallows' Eve. It's fascinating. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Man, that was a lot of like... This is a packed full episode. I hope you've enjoyed... (laughs) (laughs) Or our slightly different uh, format. Yeah, our Halloween bonanza. We were excited about it. It's a a, a Halloween bonanza. Yeah. Now um, go look up, what is it, Malleus Maleficarum? Yep, that sounds right. Yeah, do that and tell us what you find about how to find witches and how to to tell them apart. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And in the meantime, uh, you know... Happy Halloween. Go do your Halloween thing. Be creepy if you want to be creepy. Be cool if you want to be cool. And then, like, leave us a review maybe in the middle of that. Yeah. Yeah. Halloween review. Halloween review. What? The phone. The phone. The phone.
Oh my god. Too much. Oh gosh. How? Which one? How does it go? It's the. It, you don't dial. No, it's the. I can't see. Huh, about time. Get here already. You've been threatening all day. Peace out, witches. <laughs> See you next week. Go vote. Go vote. Oh, God, that's right. Oh, shit. Next week, go vote. Go vote. If you're of age. And until then. Bye-bye. Peace out. We love you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you for our listening. <laughs> you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Blueberry, and more. Basically anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Mm -hmm. If you like our podcast, it would be really helpful if you could please like and subscribe, rate and review, share with your friends on social media, word of mouth, mm -hmm. all of that. It's great. Yes. And you can find us on Twitter at GWBB Podcast. Instagram is the same. And we are on Facebook under Good Witches, Bad Bitches Podcast. And hey, guess what? If you want to hear all of our episodes, they are all up at our website, GWBBpodcast.com. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to share with us and that you want us to share on our podcast at some point, you can email us at GWBBpodcast at gmail.com. Hey, guys. You know what? If you like what you hear, maybe please consider a little bit of supporting us financially by visiting our tip jar. Um, the link is in the show notes. Every little bit helps. It just kind of makes it so that we can keep this going so that it has some longevity. So just think about it. See, see how you feel about it. Or you can support this podcast directly by buying us a coffee on our Ko-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> so that is ko-fi.com slash GWBB podcast. Um, coffee start at $3 because that's generally the price of a fancy coffee and it just helps us keep the ship going. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is produced by Moon Bounce and powered by Pine Cast. Boom, boom, boom. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening.